just got to give you guys a backstory here. At first, when we started the reading rant, my intention was simply just to read through the New Testament with y'all. That was my intention. I said, you know what? Let me just read through the New Testament. We're just going to read through it. I just want to see people journey through it because so many people have said that they've never read through the entire New Testament. I said, you know what? Let's just do it. And and while it sounded like and it seemed like a daunting task, uh, I wanted to show just 30 minutes. That's it. Just spend 20 to 30 minutes reading every day and you can get through the entire New Testament. And of course, that's what we did. And it started off that way. And then we got through it before the end of the year. And everybody was like, hey, you know, let's let's do the Old Testament. And so I was like, why not? Why not? Let's read through the Old Testament as well. And so that's why we're doing this. We're reading through the Old Testament now. And so we spent just, you know, about 30 minutes, 20, 30 minutes reading through Scripture. Half a Netflix episode, y'all. Half a Netflix episode. We spent about half a Netflix episode reading through uh, the, the scriptures. And then I'll spend about another 20 to 30 minutes ruminating over the text and just reflecting on uh, what the Lord is speaking into in the text. And that's what we've been doing. And that's been our rhythm. And that's been our, our daily, daily habit. And so um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm truly encouraged. Uh, I'm encouraged by the stories of people who've been transformed by this, who say, I've never thought of the Bible this way. I've never read the Bible this way. Even even when you read the books of the Bible, like, for example, when you read through, uh, um, you know, the book of Ephesians, or you read through the book of Philippians, or you read through the book of Colossians, you know, we often just read like a chapter or read like a verse, and then we just study a verse. But these were meant to be read as books. They were actually letters, right, that Paul wrote to the church. And so when we read it in its totality, then we get the whole idea of what the purpose of the letter is. You start big first, and then you go smaller. I'll say this, and then we're going to get started. I know we're supposed to be getting started with our reading here, but I'll say this, um, that I believe, and I'm convinced now, that the most effective way to read the Bible and to study the Word of God is to start off by reading it in its totality, getting the main idea of what the book is trying to say, right? And then after you've garnered the main idea, right, after you've cultivated the main idea of what that book is trying to say, then go back and start breaking down the text, okay? Then go back and start breaking down the text to see, okay, now I see how different these different parts of this book support what the book is attempting to say or what the book is revealing or saying. And so that thing that's just that's profoundly critical that we read the Bible first in its totality. And I'll also say this, and this is becoming a little bit of a rant before I read, because it's the read and rant, but it looks like it's gonna be rant, read, rant. And I said this and I'll always say this always, always, I'm just going to continue saying this over and over again, is is that when you don't read the Bible in its totality, that's how you get off. That's how you, you fall off. That's how misinterpretations happen. This is how misappropriations happen. Um, this is how we, we, get, we, we fall into some of the stuff that many of us have experienced. And I'll say this, um, and I can't emphasize this enough. Um, I'll say this, and I'll get going with the reading, since that's what we're here to do is to read the scriptures. But I'll say this, is that most people who feel some type of way about church or feel some type of way about what the Bible says or 
they'll say things like, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that, or the Bible has uh, um, um, conflicts and the Bible uh, has contradictions and the Bible, almost everyone who has something to say about the Bible hasn't actually read it. <laughs> like they haven't actually read it all the way through. And it's unfortunate because many of us have already made up our minds about what the Bible says, and yet we have not actually read it in its totality. You don't even read Harry Potter. Like, you don't even read Harry Potter and read one uh, sliver of a book on Harry Potter, and then from just that one sliver, come up with your whole conclusion about what the book is about. But of course, that's what we do when we read the Bible. So if you've got any kind of critique or criticism, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you, read the whole thing then come up with your critique. I don't even argue anymore uh, with folks who say certain things about what the Bible says, because I go, the fact that you brought that up and said that says to me that you actually haven't read it. Like, like you actually haven't read it in its totality, or you've willingly chosen to, you know, come up with your own conclusion and you've willingly chosen to just ignore what it actually says to say what you want it to say or to make the conclusion that you want to make. So that's why we do this. This is why we read all of the scripture. And this is why we do it in piecemeal. Because again, you don't have to read all of it at once, right? You don't have to read all of it at once. You can read it little by little. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to read the word little by little. Little, and we're gonna keep biting and biting and biting into that elephant until we eat the whole thing. So today we're gonna be reading through Job 16. And what we're gonna ask, this isn't a Bible study. I know we got a Bible study tonight and I'll be sending the link to you all. We do have a Bible study tonight. And for my patrons, if you are on Patreon, uh, I'm gonna be sending you the link. So uh, anticipate the link. I may actually do this one on Discord. I'm debating right now uh, how we're gonna go about doing it but I may do this one on Discord. So uh, pay close attention. But again, I'm going to record it as well and provide it to you. I know what I'm going to do. Don't worry about that. Uh, but yes, so we will have Bible study tonight, but this isn't a Bible study. This is more specifically a time where we just want to reflect on the Word. And so what we're going to ask is three questions. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the question. It's the first question. The second question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? That's the second question. And the third question is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? Father, I just ask that you would speak to us today as we engage in your word. Lord, bless us. Um, speak to us, Lord. Um, don't allow us just to read the words in the word but to hear and to discover the word in the word. And so, Father, just bless us, Lord. Grace us with your wisdom, your conviction, your guidance, your direction, your spirit. Lord, lead us, Lord, today as we read your word. And we ask that in your name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, and it says this, Then Zophar the Naamite answered and said, Therefore, my anxious thoughts make me answer because of the turmoil within me. I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. Do you not know this of old? Since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment. Though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens, 
and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? He will fly like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision in the, of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. His children will seek the favor of the poor, and his hand will restore his wealth. His bones are full of youthful vigor, and it will lie down with him in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth, and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but he still keeps it in his mouth, yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. He casts them out of his belly. You will suck the poison of the cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. He will see the streams, the rivers, flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down. For the proceeds of business, he will, not, he will get no enjoyment for he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build because he knows no quietness in his heart. He will not save anything he desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore, his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, he will cast on him the fury of his wrath and will rain it on him while he is eating. He will flee from the iron weapon, and bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of his body, and the glittering point comes out of his gall. Terrors come upon him. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures, and unfanned fire will consume him. It shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. The heavens will reveal his iniquity, and the earth will rise up against him. The increase of his house will depart, and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion from God for the wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. Hmm. Then Job answered and said, Listen carefully to my speech. And let this be your consolation. Bear with me that I may speak. And after I have spoken, keep mocking. As for me, is my complaint against man? And if it were, why should I not be impatient? Look at me and be astonished. Put your hand over your mouth. Even when I remember, I am terrified. And trembling takes hold of my flesh. Why do the wicked live and become old? Yes, become mighty in power. Their descendants are established with them in their sight, and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull breeds without failure. Their cow calves without miscarriage. They sent forth their little ones like a flock, and their children dance. They sing to the tambourine and harp and rejoice to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in wealth and in a moment go down to the grave. Yet they say to God, depart from us, for we do not desire the knowledge of your ways, who is the Almighty, that we should serve him. And what profit do we have if we pray to him? Indeed, their prosperity is not in their hand. The counsel of the wicked, far from me. How often is the lamp of the wicked pulled out? How often does their destruction come upon them? The sorrows of God distribute in his anger. 
They are like straw before wind and are like chafe that the storm carries away. They say God lays up one's iniquity for his children. Let him recompense him that he may know it. Let his eyes see his destruction and let him drink of the wrath of the Almighty. For what does he care about his household after him when the number of his months is cut in half? Can anyone teach God knowledge since he judges those on high? One dies in full strength, being wholly at ease and secure. He pales, his pails are full of milk, and the marrow of his bones are moist. Another man dies in the bitterness of his soul, never having eaten with pleasure. They lie down alike in the dust, and worms cover them. Look, I know your thoughts, and the schemes with which you would wrong me. For you say, where is the house of the prince? And where is the tent, the dwelling place of the wicked? Have you not asked those who travel on the road? And do you not know their signs? For the wicked are reserved for the day of doom. They shall be brought out of the day of wrath. He condemns his way on his fate, to his face. And who repays for him for what he has done? Yet he be brought to the grave and the vigil kept over the womb. Sorry, over the tomb. The cloth of the valley shall be sweet to him. Everyone shall follow him, and countless have gone before him. How then can you comfort me with empty words, since falsehoods remain in your answers? Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Can a man be profitable to God, though he who is wise may be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous? Or is it gain to him that you make your ways blameless? Is it because of your fear of him that he corrects you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your wickedness great and your iniquity without end? For you have taken pledges from your brother for no reason and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have not given the weary water to drink and you have withheld bread from the hungry, but the mighty man possessed the land, and the honorable man dwelt in it. And yet you have sent widows away empty, and the strength of the fatherless was crushed. Therefore snares are all around you, and sudden fear troubles you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and an abundance of water covers you. Is not God in the height of heaven? And see the highest stars, how lofty they are. And you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds cover him so that he cannot see. And he walks above the circle of heaven. Will you keep the old to the old way, which wicked men have trod, who were cut down before their time, whose foundations were swept away by a flood? They said to God, depart from us. What can the Almighty do to them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, and the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad, and the innocent laugh at them. Surely our adversaries are cut down, and the fire consumes their remnant. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come upon you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth, and lay up his words in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you will lay your gold in the dust and the gold of fear among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. And then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. 
You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your eyes when they cast you down and you say exaltation will come. Then he will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. Then Job answered and said, Even today my complaint is bitter. My hand is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No, but he would take note of me. There, the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered from my judge. Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. Then he turns to the right hand, and I cannot see him, but he knows the way that I take when he has tested me, and I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, but he is unique. And who can make him change? And whatever his soul desires, that he does, for he performs what is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Therefore, I am terrified at his presence when I consider this. I am afraid of him. For God made my heart weak and the Almighty terrifies me because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness. And he did not hide deep darkness from my face. Last chapter. Since times are not hidden from the Almighty, why do those who know him see not his days? Some remove landmarks. They seize flocks violently and feed on them. They drive away the donkey of the fatherless. They take the widow's, the widow's ox as a pledge. They push the needy off the road. All the poor of the land are forced to hide. Indeed, like wild donkeys in the desert, they go out to their work searching for food. The wilderness yields food for them and their, for their children. They gather their fodder in the field. They glean in the vineyard of the wicked. They spend the night naked without clothing and have no covering in the cold. They are wet with the showers of the mountains and huddle around the rock for want of shelter. They snatch the fatherless from the breast and take the pledge from the poor. They cause the poor to go naked without clothing. They take away sheaves from the hungry. They press out oil within their field and tread wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The dying groan in the city and the souls of the wicked cry out, yet God does not charge them with wrong. There are those who rebel against the light. They do not know its ways, nor abide in its past. The murderer rises with the light. He kills the poor and needy, and in the night he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, No eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark they break into houses, which they marked for themselves in the daytime. They do not know the light, for the morning is the same to them as the shadow of death. If anyone recognizes them... They are in the terrors of the shadow of death. 
They should be swift on the face of the waters. Their portion should be cursed in the earth so that no one would turn into the way of the vineyards as drought and heat consume the snow waters. So the grave consumes those who have sinned. The womb should forget them. The worm should feed sweetly on them. He should be remembered no more. And wickedness should be broken like a tree, for he preys on the barren who do not bear and does no, no good for the, for the widow. But God draws the mighty away with his power. He rises up, but no man is sure of life. He gives them security, and they rely on it. Yet his eyes are on their ways. They are exalted for a little while. Then they are gone. They are brought low. Then they are taken away, taken out of the way like all the others. They dry out like the heads of grain. Now, if it is not so, who will prove me a liar and make my speech worth nothing? Again, Job is going back and forth and back and forth with his friends. And we're seeing this happen all throughout this portion of the scriptures where Job is going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with his friends. And the back and forth that Job is engaging in with his friends is one of, I know you're trying to accuse me. Like, I know you're trying to... um, pin down and make sense of why I'm going through what I'm going through. I know that. And it may actually come from a good place. Some have argued that this doesn't come from a good place. Others have argued that it comes from a place of love where these friends are simply trying to tell Job, hey, just get whatever you did wrong right with God so that way everything will be all right again and life will be good again. Because if anything's going wrong right now, I mean, Job, look at that. I mean, this looks like bad luck. You've lost your resource, your staff, your finances, your family. You've lost all your children in one fell swoop. You're about to lose your wife. I mean, bro, you got to fix whatever you're doing wrong because it must be you. It must be you because the justice of God doesn't work that way. Righteous people, you know, people who are doing what's right before God, no, those people, they live good lives. No, no, no. You must be doing something wrong. And so, of course, what they what they're doing here, if you look at the friends, is now they're just they're just, you know, they, they're putting his entire life on a microscope. And they're, they're, they're measuring all these different things. And now they're accusing Job of unrighteousness because of how he's managed his wealth. And it's funny and it's interesting because, again, Job uses their same argument to say, hold on a second. Hold on. Hold, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Hold up. So you're telling me that because I'm wealthy, that God did this because I didn't use my wealth in the way that you felt it necessary for me to use my wealth. You didn't feel like I administrated my wealth with the form of justice that comes to your mind. And so you're saying that God punished me because I mismanaged my wealth. And of course, 
what then Job says, just Job said, Job then argues and says to them, well, if it's because of my wealth, I'm breaking it down. I'm giving you the Isaac translation of all this. If it's because of my wealth, then why is it then that all these other wealthy people who, you know, we all know they're wealthy and have practiced even greater injustices, why are they happy? And why are they living a good life? And why is everything going well for them? This is Job's defense. Job is is poking holes at their morality because Job is saying, if 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 it's if it's what I'm doing, why is it that there are other people who do worse than I do and yet they're enjoying a better life than I do? Job's like your 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 logic don't make sense. Your justice don't make sense. And of course, this is the thing that what what Job is wrestling with is what a lot of us are wrestling with is, is why do bad people get to enjoy good lives? Like the people that we know that are practicing injustice and there's so many forms of injustice in the world. Why are they enjoying these good lives? They're out here living the good life. And me, I know some folks know exactly, you're, you're exactly where Job is at or where Job's friends are at, where you're saying, but, 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 but I've been doing the right thing. I've been living the right way. I've been doing everything you asked me to do, God. Why is it that the people who don't live the lives that you intended, that, 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 that please you, the people who practice injustice, the people who, are, who practice wickedness, the people who practice evil, why are they enjoying good lives? But my life isn't going well. Why are they living the good life, but I'm suffering? Maybe I'm the only one who's asked that question. Maybe... Uh, maybe I'm talking to myself. Maybe I'm, maybe maybe this this ain't touching some people here, who over and over again you've been doing what God wants you to do, you've been living how God wants you to live, you've been saying, "Hey, I'm living the way God wants me to live." Why is it that I'm suffering? I was doing the right thing. Why is everybody else getting married? And and why why is everybody else business is going well? And why is everybody else why are they enjoying this? Why why are they enjoying a full life, no sickness, no nothing? Why is that? And yet for me, I'm living the life that God wanted me to live, and yet I'm not enjoying the life that I thought I should be enjoying. Make it make sense. And I know maybe I'm talking to myself, but I just believe that there's some folks in here who are wrestling with this. You're wrestling with this reality. There are folks who are here. I know you're wrestling with this. Why am I doing everything right, but nothing in my life is going the way that I planned it? Why am I doing things that I know God wants me to do and I'm living the way that God wants me to live. And why Why am I doing everything right, but nothing is going my way? And what's even worse is that everybody who's not living the way that God wants them to live, and they're living in wickedness. I mean, look at all the injustice in the world. And yet they're the ones who get to, quote unquote, inherit the earth. Why is that? I'll argue to you that the problem is, is how you measure morality and how you measure the justice of God. Good things don't necessarily equate to good people. Bad things aren't necessarily ascribed to evil people. 
good people go through bad things. Bad people will enjoy good things because the justice of God is not measured by how you perform. The justice of God operates on a whole different measure. I don't know if everybody's catching what I'm saying. Job is out here discoursing with his friends about, in defense to himself, about how, no, this it can't be what I'm doing because if it's what I'm doing, then why is it that other people, notice where the argument's going here. If it's what I'm doing, then why is it that other people who are doing worse than me are not doing worse than me? <laughs> if it's what I'm doing, why are people who are practicing more evil than I am not, enjoy, not, not suffering more pain than I am? Why are people who are obviously guilty? We see everything they're doing. And Joe points it out here. We see all the injustice. We see all the stuff that they've done. And yet, they're living the good life. Whereas me, you're trying to put my life on a microscope. And you're trying to measure every little thing I do because you're trying to make sense that of why I'm going through what I'm going through. At the end of the day, at the core of the human consciousness, the question is, is why do we suffer? Why can't we all just live the good life? Why can't we all just live long, happy lives? Why can't we all just be married? Why can't, why can't, why can't we all just have a nice house? Why can't we all just be fed? Why is there hunger in the world? Why is there suffering in the world? Why is there pain in the world? Why are we going through all of this? We, we're trying to make sense of this question. Why do we suffer? And this is the tension that we're left with because Job's discourse on the wicked in Job chapter 21 is he's saying there are people who are wicked, who are obviously wicked, and yet they don't seem to suffer. No, 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 not by, not by our measure of suffering, they don't seem to suffer. Not by our measure of success, they don't seem to be doing too badly. They seem to be doing all right. So therefore, something must be wrong with me and with us and what we're doing if we suffer. Hmm. And yet what we see happening, and I know we're, we're left in attention because, again, we're not reading the whole book and we need to read the whole book. I just want to sit in this reading right now. I want to sit in what it's what he's saying because a lot of us we're working through this right now. Sit in this moment. There are a lot of us who are working through this right now. And we're going through this 
this pain and, and we're going through the suffering and we're not understanding it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense why I'm going through this. But hear, hear me out. Hear me out, fam. Suffering is not the end. And suffering is a part of the story. It wasn't initially part of God's plan. But as a result of sin, it is now part of God's plan. Suffering is a part of the story. I want you to, I want you, I want, I want you to steep in that for a minute. Suffering is a part of it. And for those who are in Christ, who have been declared righteous, notice Job is declared righteous. Ooh, let me back this up for a minute. Let me back this up because I have to say this, and I hope I don't throw some people off here. I'm hoping I don't throw some people off. I don't want to go into full Bible study here because we're in reflection, but I do want to back away for a moment. I do want to back away for a moment. Um, The book of Job, remember we talked about this before. When it comes to the chronology of the book of Job, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of debates about the book of Job. Okay. I'm not here to be the final voice on this or the final authority on this. But chronologically, Job is affirmed as the oldest story in the Bible. Okay. Some have even, some believe that Job is the oldest book written in the Bible. Job is older than than the Pentateuch, believed by some theologians, older than Genesis. Okay, Job would be the oldest book in the Bible. Of course, chronologically, it isn't the oldest because the first thing that happens is, right, Adam and Eve, right, the, the first humans <laughs> um, that God created Adam and Eve. Again, we talked about creation before, but we'll, I don't want to get into that because that's going to cause a lot of trouble. I don't want to get anybody all flustered right now on it. Because um, creation is not how we, we we like to articulate it. Okay. However, we know Job as an old book, at least a story in the patriarchal period. So we're talking before Noah, definitely before Abraham, likely before Noah, definitely before Abraham, likely before Enoch, likely before. And so, because now Job happens so early in the text, right, chronologically, right, the question then is, and I know I'm, I'm working this slow, so I want you to listen very, very carefully here. The question is then, is why is Job here? I know some people are asking that question. If Job is early in the Bible, then why isn't Job in Genesis? Or why isn't Job written before or put before Genesis? Or why isn't Job put before? We talked a little bit about the narrative of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. So Job would kind of fit somewhere in there. And so it doesn't chronologically fit well. But I'll argue to you that there is a chronology to Job that is when it was written. Hebrews had what we call uh, oral traditions, where they would share the stories of the patriarchs. And Job wasn't the only patriarch. Abraham wasn't either. There are many of the Hebrew patriarchs that we hear about. Job is actually a preceding patriarch, preceding the Hebrews. Job is not a Hebrew here. And these other men are not Hebrews. This is before 
the the law was written. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is before any of that. And I love, and I said this before, and I'll say this again because I don't know who's on today and who's listening today. This is why the Ten Commandments don't make anyone righteous. The Ten Commandments can't make anyone righteous. Following the Bible's laws cannot make anyone righteous because Job was declared righteous before the laws were even written. There were no laws. There were no biblical laws. There were no scriptural laws. And yet the Bible tells us that Job was declared to be righteous. He was righteous before God. So righteousness then doesn't have, doesn't depend on our, uh, uh, compliance to the law, but rather righteousness simply depends on who God ascribes to be righteous. Meaning righteousness, therefore, is simply what God calls you. It has nothing to do with you. It's just simply what God calls you, whether or not you perform according to a rule or a law or anything of the nature. Job is declared righteous before there is any Bible. There's no Bible here, guys. Okay. And when Job transpires, there was no Genesis. There was no Exodus. There was no Leviticus. There was no Numbers. There was no, there was no Bible, y'all, <laughs> during the story of Job. And yet Job knows God and he hears from God. This is the stuff that can sometimes make Christianity or Christians uncomfortable. And I hope it doesn't make the Christians uncomfortable because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. But for the cultural Christians, we have our own view and our own perspective of what Christianity is. And we build it all around the book in a very legalistic way. When knowing God transcends the book because God transcends the book. Another conversation for another day. I'm sorry. I don't want to make too many people uncomfortable today. However, the question that still remains, the question that still remains, family, is where we, we see where Job is, but now when was Job written? And so there's the argument. Some say it was written before Genesis. Others have argued that it was written during the time of captivity. There is more evidence to support that Job was written during the time of captivity, even though Job transpired before, um, um, before the patriarchs or around the patriarchal era. Why is all this important? Why am I bringing all this up? Because I'd, I'd like to think here, and again, this is not me, and this is not, I'm, I'm not the final authority on this, even though a lot of evidence supports that Job was written around the time of captivity. That while Job was written during the time of captivity, the story of Job transpires centuries before this. And this was oral tradition, it was just finally written down on paper. And if you notice the way that the story is written, it's a poetry. It's poet. It's poetic. Okay. Job is a poetic book. If you notice that, I don't know if anybody's noticing this. Okay. This is poetry. This is history written in poetry. Have y'all heard of that before? It's history written in poetry. So it is historically sound. But because written in poetry, the writer of the book of Job 
has an agenda. Okay, I've gone full Bible study here. Sorry, but I felt like I needed to do this because it's critical. It is poetic. It is also, there's also it's the wisdom of pain. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. Okay, but I feel like it's important at this point to, 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 to explain this to you, that this is a poetic book. It is not written, even the quotes and the discourse has been written in poetic style and poetic prose. Why is this important? It's important because while it is historically accurate, it has a poetic rendition. And because it's poetic rendition, understand poetry, art, okay, it's art. That's what it is. It's art. And because it is art, we have to ask the artist, what was the purpose and what is the art saying? So while there is history behind it, what is the artist exposing of the history? What is he revealing? Oh, he said this, the Bible is um, revisionist history, not revisionist, sorry, extractionist history, because it's extracting key points and exposing those things because, again, there's an agenda behind the, his, the historian that's revealing the history to you. So the author who's Hebrew, pay very, very close attention to this. The author who's Hebrew is now writing, just pay attention now, if it's happening during the time of captivity, this Hebrew author, we, all the captivity that we read about, everything that we read so far up to this point, the Hebrew author, writes down this book and this story to a Hebrew people about a man who wasn't a Hebrew man having a discourse with other with three other men who weren't Hebrew men either about God. Are you hearing me? And the real question I know when we read Joe, we simply read it about pain. But when you read this, this is about justice. This author, because you got to understand that the people in this time, if this is being written to these people in this time, they're going through pain. They're seeing injustice. They're living in captivity. They're being economically oppressed. They're, they're disenfranchised. These people are living in exilic reality. They're disconnected from the world. They're seen as a peculiar, weird people. And yet here they are, this peculiar people, these Hebrews. They need a moment of encouragement in the midst of their suffering. And so Job is written to them about a man who wasn't Hebrew, to other men who weren't Hebrew, who were very much like the ones who were oppressing them but they knew God. And they had, and, they, and now Job is having this discord. Why is this important? This is very, this is critically important. Because at the core, while we're asking, what is the purpose of suffering? What the Hebrews are asking in the book of Job, I know I went to full teach, sorry. <laughs> but what the heroes, what, sorry, sorry what, the, what the Hebrews are asking when they read the book of Job is they're asking, what is justice? 
And what does justice look like? Because we don't see justice where we are right now. Please read it now from that vantage point. Read it now from that perspective. Because, you know, it's often, it's easy for us to read it in our pain. And there's nothing wrong um, for reading it even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of our suffering. I'm, I had a hard time sleeping last night again, right? I'm, I'm still going through a lot of discomfort and a lot of pain, but I believe the Lord is healing me even through all of that. But even in the midst of that, I've got to back up and read it the way that it was meant to be read. Because then it'll give light and understanding to us for those of us who are experiencing pain and suffering. And so as I read the book of Job, and I hope y'all staying with me, don't want to bore y'all too much, but as I read this and we back away from it, if we read it through the lens of justice, these were the core questions that the children of Israel were asking when they were in captivity. And they needed an answer. Because for them, if I follow God's law, if I follow God's justice, if I follow God's law, and if I do what is righteous, then we shouldn't be in captivity. And it's our lack of righteousness and our unrighteousness that's led us here in this pain. And yet, what can we do to correct it? And the question that they're asking is the very questions that Job was asking. The question that Job was asking is, why is it that those who are unrighteous get to enjoy this earth and enjoy all the things that we see on earth and enjoy all the goodness of the world? Why is it that it's us who, relatively speaking, <laughs> since we like to put grace on a curve and righteousness on a curve, relatively speaking, we're better, and yet we don't get to enjoy the, the, the benefits of righteousness. Or is it possible that suffering is a part of the righteousness of God? And is it possible that when we suffer, God isn't judging us? that in the midst of our suffering, God is bringing a fracture in the realm of the spirit. I'm only pointing this out so that you guys can go back and, and listen to this. If you're on Patreon, go back and listen to this because as we read through the rest of Job now, we're going to get into a resolution. The writer's writing to the children of Israel to let them know that this suffering is not about your pain, but it's about justice. There's a bigger plan behind this. There's something bigger behind this. And so as Job begins to proclaim, what, look what he does, that even though I'm suffering, God is still righteous. And even though I'm suffering, and I don't understand it, but God's just justice is good. And that his judgment is right. See, this is the part that we don't accept, is that even though I can't make sense of it, his judgment is right. His justice is good. It's good. It, it don't feel good. No, hell no. It don't feel good. It, it don't feel great at all. It's, it's, it hurts. 
It hurts. And I'm tired. And I don't want to continue going through it. And yet it's still good. And then he says in Job 23, verse 10, and I want you just to hold on to this for a moment. He says, and he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And when he has tested me, Job's language is changing. Because Job sees, no, there's something bigger here. I'm trying to work this out. And I'm trying to make sense of this. But there's something bigger. And I don't know what it is. It's important for you guys to understand. Job doesn't know what it is. He's not, he still doesn't have the answers, okay? Make sure you understand that. Job does not have the answer to his pain. He doesn't know why he's going through it. But this is what he knows, though. He knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I know what I'm going through. I don't like what I'm going through. But God's wisdom is greater than mine. God knows more than I know. It goes beyond my comprehension, beyond my understanding, beyond my ability to see it. And so if I'm going through this, this is a test. Every suffering is a test. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed. It's a test. If you're going through it, it's a test. It's a trial. He says, when he has tested me, Job is saying, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me say one last thing, and then I'm done. Didn't, didn't he say, Do not consider it strange when you encounter these fiery trials. Like, don't, don't consider it strange as if something weird is happening to you. Like the guarantee, actually, of a Christian life, the guarantee of a righteous life is actually pain. Blessings are not guaranteed to you. Blessings are not guaranteed to you in Jesus. No, no, not the kind of blessings you think. Not a car, not a husband, not a wife, not money. Those aren't guaranteed to you. Oh, but what's guaranteed is suffering. Yes. He actually says, consider it strange when you encounter these fiery trials. But here's the thing, though, and I love it about it, is that the same way Job sees his suffering, he sees it as a test. And so he says in Job 23, verse 10, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. What if the test is a fire? And when you place that rock in that fire, all of a sudden, all the impurities in the fire begin to burn away, burn away, burn away, burn away. And as the impurities burn away, all of a sudden, that fire begins to shine and shine 
Maybe he's just refining you. He's not trying you in the way that you think. He's just refining you. That's that song, right? That's that, that, that Maverick City song. If y'all heard the Maverick City song, I want to be tried by fire. We say we want to be tried by fire, but do we really want to be tried by fire? But here's the reality is, is that Job has a confidence. He says, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little reckless and then I'm done. I'm done. No, it's not so reckless. I've said, I've said a lot more reckless stuff before in my life, but I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave this right here. I've gone through some stuff. I've gone through some stuff. Some stuff that didn't make sense to me. Like I didn't understand how I could do everything right and yet everything can go wrong. Never understood that. It just never made sense at the time. I remember I was a faculty member at the University of Miami, felt a call by God to preach the gospel. Didn't know what to do with that at the time. But I said yes to God. I said, Lord, yes, I will preach the gospel. Faculty member, finished my PhD, and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm ready. And so I said yes to God. And the month that I said yes to God, we became homeless. It was my wife and I with our son. And that same month that we became homeless, we found out that she was pregnant with our second son, Israel. And then I lost my car. And then we had our all of our equipment stolen. And I remember everything being taken away. Everything. And and then, of course, my wife, who after I had stepped away from that, uh, you know, from my faculty job, my wife, who had a nice, cushy, you know, middle-level, middle-executive-level job, she lost her job as well. And we're both now sitting there going, hold up. We said yes to God. What's going on here? God, I mean, I'm saying yes to you. I mean, I'm not expecting like a comfortable life. I mean, we're going to downgrade. Yeah, we were living in the nice cushy condo in downtown Fort Lauderdale. And we were, you know, we were living the life. But, you know, we, we simplified it and we got a smaller place. And yet we lost everything. And it's a long story. And I'm not going to get into all the details of the story. But it didn't make sense. It didn't. And the whole time, I remember being angry with God. And I remember, um, you know, at the time I was even suffering with my asthma and it got just progressively worse. And, and, and it was in that season. I look back now and my wife and I, we sometimes we look back, you know, nine months homeless. It could do something to you. <laughs> nine months with, with no home, knowing that your wife is about to have a child. Bouncing around from place to place, just trying to figure it out. 
not knowing what to do next. It could do something to you. And the whole time asking God, why, 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 why am I going through this? Why? I just obeyed you. You know, I was living a good life before I said yes to you, God. And then all of a sudden, one year goes by, neither of us is working. Another year goes by, neither of us is working. Drained our entire savings. Drained our entire 401k. Finally got a place, of course, and it was during that time that we got the place that we drained our finances. Didn't know what to do next. We were still confused about that. I was simply just preaching the gospel. I've shared it before. I remember going and preaching at a conference, but it t- I, had to, I had to take the bus to get there. It was a conference of about 5,000 people, and I took the bus to get there, and I remember preaching at the conference and then staying there. I remember preaching at the conference, and I remember saying, okay, I'm just going to stay in the back and just wait till everybody leaves so that way nobody catches me at the bus stop. Because then it's going to be real weird. Like, isn't the guy that just spoke, is he, was he just the keynote speaker at this conference and now he's at the bus stop? And I remember it was down in Miami. I lived in Fort Lauderdale, so it took about two and a half hours just to get home. I'm taking the bus there, but that's all I could afford at the time. And I remember around that time just asking God, like, well, this isn't making sense. I look back now, and even till today, we're still figuring it out as we go. We just thank the Lord that he's kept us even through this whole journey. He's kept us. He really has. And, and people often ask, well, how, why are you the way that you are? You know, why is it that you're so, you know, we're, you express so much humility and, and you express so much just love. And, and I say to him, because I've been through it. And I remember saying that if you want to know somebody who's wise, know somebody who's been through it. I went to school <laughs> those years from eviction notice to eviction notice, from getting evicted, to getting pushed, getting pushed out, to not having you know the water running, to having the power cut off, to having I've I've seen it all. Okay, I've had power cut off for months. I've had the water running for months. If if at the time DS, DCF knew about our our living situation, they probably would have taken our kids away from us. And yet, even through all of that, I look back at it and I say, "Thank God for the pain." Because, man, he's taught me what true wealth is. He's taught me what it means to be blessed. He's taught me what, it, even through all of that. And I believe that the Lord is, is, is aligning things for us. And my wife and I, we believe in that. We believe that the Lord is aligning things. And we believe he's giving focus. But the only reason why I can speak the way I speak on social media, the way I can move the way that I move, and and, and preach the way that I preach and share the word the way that I share it. This is a product of pain. Don't get it twisted. It don't come cheap. But I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And I know some people who are going through pain right now, and you're saying, I'm tired, I'm tired. Trust me, I know exactly what it looks like to just say, you know what? I just want to give up all of this and be done with it. I'm a product of keep on keeping on, holding fast to your faith, believing in God for what he's calling you to do.
I am a believer of that because I'm a product of that. I'm a product of that. And I thank the Lord and I give him glory. I do it all the time. And I can tell you that this verse right here, but he knows the way that I take. Ain't no way I knew I'd be here. Ain't no way I'd not be here. And then he says, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. If you see anything shining, <laughs> it's because I've been through the fire. If you want to shine, you're going to have to go through the fire. I'll make that a TikTok. If you want to shine, you are going to have to go through the fire. You will not. Let me say that one more time. You will not succeed without going through trials and tribulations. If you're avoiding failure, if you're avoiding trials, if you're avoiding the pain and the suffering that comes in whatever you're called to do or called to be, avoiding it is going to prohibit your ability to grow. In the same way that a rock, that's, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but like a, a pure, uh, a, a, just a block of pure gold, when it is placed in the fire, it starts off just by, it's a rock. It just looks like a rock. But then when you place it in there and it goes through the fire, all of a sudden it begins to shine. A goldsmith was once asked this. A goldsmith once was asked this, well, how do you know that when you have fully refined a piece of gold, because when a piece of gold starts off, it starts off looking like a rock. And they asked him, well, how do you know that it's done? He says, I know that it's done when after I've put it through multiple times in the fire, that I look at the gold and I can see my face. If I can see my face in it, then I'll know that it's done. In the same way, God will continue to put you through the fire. He will continue to put you in and he'll put you in, he'll put you in, then he'll take you out and he'll look at you. And until he sees himself, he'll put you right back in again and put you right back in again. And he's going to continue to put you right back in again. He's going to look. When he sees himself, when he looks at you, is when you know and he knows that he's done. And that's what God is doing with many of us. He wants to see his face. So, Father, do as you please. You know the way that we take. You're the one testing us. You're the one who's refining us. You know the way that we take. So we know, Lord, our pain is part of a bigger story. But, Lord, refine us. Purify us. Make us what you intend us to be. Lord, that you'd be glorified. Lord, in the end, that your face would shine upon us. Lord, fix ourselves to you. Fix our face towards you, Lord, that you would continually see yourself in us. Lord, whatever impurities are in us, Father, continue to refine it, Father. We know, Lord, that you're just getting started. We know that if you've begun the good work, you will complete it. So, Father, complete it in us. Sanctify us. Purify us. Be glorified in us. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.